Welcome to our new podcast series, Privacy Abbreviated, brought to you by BBB National Programs and Osano. We hope to help business leaders operationalize and prepare for what's next in privacy. I'm Donna Frazier, Senior Vice President of Privacy Initiatives at BBB National Programs. And I'm Catherine Dawson, the General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer of Osano, a data privacy compliance platform. So, Catherine, what is on our minds today? Today, we're talking about marketing and marketers. So it's a busy time for on the privacy front for marketers. Targeted advertising is very much in the forefront of the U.S. state privacy laws that will become effective in 2023. In addition, on a federal level, several initiatives also have this type of advertising very much in their crosshairs. The FTC released its advance notice of proposed rulemaking on August 11th, which lays out 95 questions on several topics, targeted advertising, as well as security of personal information, discrimination resulting from the use of algorithms, and online protection of children and teens. And while we've known for a while that the FTC would likely focus on these topics, the advance notice wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it does put companies on notice that the way we've used targeted advertising is likely going to need to change. The advance notice uses the phrase commercial surveillance, and the word surveillance is used at least 80 times. So this shift of thinking about targeted advertising in more terms of surveillance advertising is going to lead to a shift in how marketers approach what has been relied upon to a large degree in their marketing efforts. So I think it's important to note that the FTC rulemaking process takes a really long time. So they're going to review comments they receive, then publicly submit the proposed rulemaking, what lay people will call a draft, and request comments, then undertake additional hearings, all before issuing the final rule. And undoubtedly, the FTC is likely going to face legal challenges. So one major hurdle for the FTC is that in promulgating a rule, they must demonstrate that each practice regulated is either deceptive or unfair and is prevalent in the market. So there are also several critics of the FTC's notice that say the FTC should wait for Congress to act on the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, um, ADPPA, to avoid even more of a patchwork regulatory landscape. And truthfully, I may be one of those critics. The House version of the American Data Privacy Protection Act is out of committee with certain amendments and is waiting for a House vote. And it also contains the right for consumers to opt out of targeted advertising. So it certainly seems that businesses should really start planning now for a revamp of how they currently utilize targeted advertising, how they will allow consumers to opt out of such advertising, and how they will still meet marketing objectives given these changes. So this episode is timely and important. We have the host of the MarTech podcast, Ben Shapiro. Ben, who is deep in the marketing trenches, is a longtime advisor to companies and marketing departments of all types, and has helpful advice as companies are facing these new challenges, particularly around targeted advertising. So on this episode of Privacy Abbreviated, we have Ben Shapiro, who is the founder and CEO of I Hear Everything and host of the MarTech podcast. Ben, thanks for joining us. Catherine, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Excited to be here. Could you give our listeners a little bit of your background and and your bio? Yeah, absolutely. I to go way back, I you know worked at 
eBay and then left to start my own startup. Um, and so I kind of got my feet wet in kind of ground up marketing there. The startup didn't go so well, so I decided to become a marketing consultant. And to try to grow that business, I uh, started the MarTech podcast, and it was meant to be a lead generation tool for uh, me as a service practitioner. The MarTech podcast grew faster than I ever would have expected it to, and uh, that podcast morphed itself into a second show, The Voices of Search, which uh, all of a sudden people started asking us to create podcasts for them. And now we've got short four shows that we're producing all kind of in the marketing arena. And this year we rebranded the company from Ben J. Shap LLC, which was my consulting practices name, uh, to I Hear Everything, which does content as a service. We help brands create their own content. We've got our own shows that we've got a sponsorship model for. And then we're helping... Uh, other podcasters figure out how to market to their audience as well. Um, so kind of wear a lot of hats, but uh, podcast host and and try to help other marketers as well. Great. So Ben, as you know, this, this podcast is really focused on the small to medium-sized businesses, right? SMBs and that market and helping companies figure out what to do about privacy law requirements and trends. And one obvious big challenge for companies is how to keep up or improve their marketing efforts while navigating the new privacy landscape. So what do you see as the biggest challenge for SMB marketers these days? You know, it's kind of a terrifying landscape, even to the point where being on a privacy-focused podcast makes me a little nervous. <laughs> uh, and and I'm sure that my, my counsel is also like, don't say anything, but <laughs> I, I'm not very good at that. So I'll, I'll tell you the truth is that, you know, I think it's really challenging to figure out what the privacy landscape is and what the rules are because they're different in different places with different marketing activities. So, you know, going to your question, what are some of the ways that you think about marketing and try to be privacy compliant, the first thing that you need to do is think about where you're capturing your data. You know, as a marketer, the first thing that you need to think about is what are the sources of information that you can capture and store in a way that you're not getting data that you shouldn't have or using it in a way that is inappropriate. Uh, you guys probably know better than I do of what are the ways that you shouldn't capture data or shouldn't use it. But generally, the the rule of thumb is if it's first party data, somebody's giving you their information going through a form, you're able to use that in a different way than enriched data or third party data that you're buying. So I think that a lot of marketers today, even at the enterprise level, are starting to become more reliant on first party data and thinking about how to collect more data appropriately. Uh, and then it kind of trickles down from there is when I have good data, now I know who I can actually market to who's interested in my services. And they've given me express consent to reach out to them so I can do more marketing activities without worry, worrying about breaking the law. Are you, are you seeing companies like have you seen examples in the landscape of companies successfully dealing with these challenges, or is this just a consistent challenge that they're just constantly trying to figure out? Yeah, I think that we've seen a couple different factors over the last few years that have made companies more reliant on first-party data. Privacy, obviously one of them. GDPR, the legislation in Europe, CCPA in California, and there's other privacy policies and, and 
you know, sort of legislation that have passed in different areas. So I think that people are a little nervous or, or maybe more apprehensive about where they're collecting their data and, and how they're enriching it. Um, so there's that sort of underlying fear of, am I going to break the law? Am I going to get in trouble that is making people focus on first party data? There's also a, a shift in some of the marketing channels that businesses are relying on. For the last 10 years, while it was a little bit of the wild, wild west in terms of the capture and, and usage of marketing data, we've seen a lot of companies get a lot of data, enrich it. And by enriching it, it's, you know, I've got some first party data, I'm going to give it to another company, and they're going to give me more data on the person that I've already met. But then they're piping that into performance marketing channels. So the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, they're buying ads. And what we're seeing is, in part, not just because of the legislation, but because of some of the platforms changing their policies. Right. We've seen Apple roll out their uh, you know, changes to how they accept and, and offer different apps data on who's using them. Uh, Google is is deprecating the use of third-party cookies. Firefox doesn't allow you to have third-party cookies. So these platforms have restricted the amount of data that marketers can get. And so what that means is that performance marketing has become inherently less effective. So I go onto Facebook and I place an ad, you know, if I'm a small business and it used to be that Facebook knew 90% of the people that were using the app and when they were using it and what their current behaviors are. That's not the case anymore. Now it's probably in the 30% or so based on some of the data that I've seen in terms of how many people have granted express consent for apps to use their data. And so we're seeing performance marketing get less effective. And when that's happening, what people are starting to do is focus on really what I think are two channels that are important, which is building your own content, content marketing, and then influencer marketing, working with other people that have existing audiences. And that, you know, that's kind of, I don't know whether I'm coining a term here, but second party data, that's how I think of it is I'm going to directly work with somebody that has access to their audience. And I'm going to participate kind of like what we're doing with this podcast. You know, I'm, essentially not getting second party data, but people are learning about me from your audience. And so that's that in between of, is it my first party data or am I buying data from a third party? I'm building authority and trust and doing marketing activities in this intermediary fashion by you know being a contributor to other people's shows. So you know I think that we've seen this mix of, uh, mix shift of how people are thinking about marketing. What are some of the channels they're using? So I... I think that's right. And I think it's really challenging for companies to make the big adjustment. Obviously, you know, Facebook has been pretty clear about how difficult the Apple changes have been to their business model. You know, one big issue that the U.S. state privacy laws focus on is targeted advertising. And so part of that is is through the apps and the platforms, but part of that is just trying to target ads to people who might want to buy your products or services. And so, you know, we certainly seem to have a love-hate relationship with targeted advertising. And I think, you know, in some ways it makes life easier, but in some ways it feels a bit intrusive. And so when, when you're helping companies think through targeted advertising strategies, is there a conversation that you're having with your clients about sort of 
where is the line or how to make how to use targeted advertising in a way that adds value to their prospective customers but doesn't feel intrusive? Yeah, I mean I think that there's the notion of the marketing funnel and you know the the more sort of focused and and the more someone that has given you an expressed indication that they're interested in your products or services, more likely they're going to be to convert on your advertising. I, I honestly think that there's a question of like legal, you know, is it legal to retarget someone and 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 how are you using the data and capturing it and storing it is is one question. And then there's this question of morality. Right. If I can legally capture data because someone didn't read a privacy policy and gave me some information and now I can follow them around the Internet with ads that they don't want, but I keep presenting them to them because on some level it's a numbers game doesn't necessarily feel morally right. Now, I'll take an example of a project that we're experimenting with uh, with I Hear Everything is this notion of retargeting podcast listeners. People come to my podcast to learn about marketing, to learn about marketing tools, about technology tools. And with our sponsorship model, some of the brands that are contributing create advertorial content, we, which we expressly state when somebody is a sponsor coming on the show. And the people that are listening to those episodes, the sponsors, want to be able to retarget the people that listen to that ad. Somebody comes to my show and says, Ben, I want to hear about XYZ company. I'm going to listen to a, you know, 75 minutes of podcasts in a week about this company. Well, to me, that's... Just, a pretty good indication that that person is open and interested in the topic or subject. And I've collected first party data on the podcast listeners. Now, can I use that data to present ads promoting the company that helped me produce that content? They're a contributor. They're, you know, the interview subject, you know, to me, that feels it doesn't cross a moral boundary. Somebody has already given me an indication of express consent. We're capturing every, possible way for them to say, yes, I'm okay with you retargeting and trying to check off all the legal boxes. But, you know, that's one of the things that we're interested in is bridging this gap from I heard a piece of content and I'm interested in buying a product or service. But when I heard the podcast, I was on the treadmill. I was washing the dishes. I was commuting. So I can't click an ad and buy something. Well, we we want to present that offer to someone when they're in a more convenient time and place. I think that it's a very nuanced conversation about what is the right way to follow someone around. Like, is there a frequency cap that you should have so you're not giving somebody too many ads? Depends on the product or service. Yes, the answer is yes, but what that cap is is different for every brand. So honestly, this is something that I struggle with as a person of the internet, but also a marketer. And, and you know, I think that the my instinct is always to try to exhibit the marketing behaviors that I personally find acceptable. I don't mind the ads being personalized on Instagram. I kind of like doing most of my shopping through that channel. So would I market on Instagram? Like, yeah, I might retarget people there. That seems okay for me. I think it is really challenging for podcasts to reach their, to have that follow-up with their listeners in a, in a real meaningful way and uh, deliver content that they are sort of legitimately, that you legitimately believe they are interested in receiving. Yeah. And, 
there's a, a lot of challenges in the podcast space because, you know, one of the, and I'm sort of summarizing here, but one of the main ways to my understanding is keep yourself out of privacy trouble, you know, be compliant is to get express consent from people. And that's, you know, when you go to a website, you see the like, are you okay with accepting cookies? And people click yes. Well, in podcasts, I, I don't own the environment where someone is downloading my podcast. So I can't display a pop-up banner that says, can I retarget you? Right. That That's in Apple. I can give a link in my show notes. Right. And then I can go land somebody on a web page where then they could say that they expressly consent. But I, I'm not the distributor of the content. I'm the creator of the content and I'm using other platforms for distribution. So I think that there's a lot of gray area when you get into these formats of new media and you're using platforms that are giving you access to some data, but not allowing you to control some of the opt-ins and, and you know, the, the, the legal ease in their apps and websites. I think you hit hit on the target, no pun intended, with regards to frequency, (laughs) which is trying to limit that frequency and figuring out what that cap is, right? Because I think when people feel like this is just constant bombardment is when you really begin to lose them. But I do think that the challenge you're talking about, these platforms where you as the advertiser potentially don't have control makes it much more challenging and, and complex. And how do you add additional value to the experience, right? When we talk to companies advertisers about retargeting. One of the things we talk to them about is, well, how do you add additional value to whatever that experience is so that it's not repetitive? And it does seem like it's new every time. So I'm not sure that's something that you've figured out either. From a marketer's perspective, here are the things that I'm trying to do, not expressly with, I hear everything's marketing strategies, but broadly as a, the generic marketer. I want to get as many impressions as I possibly can in front of somebody who is in my ICP, ideal customer profile. So if I know that somebody looks like uh, another customer, I don't mean physically looks like, but they've got the same characteristics of people that have bought my products or services, I want high frequency across multiple channels. Now, the problem is it's really hard to do something called multi-touch attribution, which is understand when one of your prospects has touched different advertising across different marketing channels. Did they hear me on a podcast? Did they see my ads on LinkedIn? Did they drive by my billboard? Did they answer my phone calls? And did they respond to my emails? Well, you show me the marketing platform that does that calculation and tells me that one single person has done all of those marketing activities and what their propensity to buy is, right? They're really sophisticated technologies that are trying to do this and and none of them have really mastered it. Google is still trying to figure out multi-touch attribution. So God knows Benjamin Shapiro hasn't figured that out. (laughs) And so a lot of what happens is, well, I just as the generic marketer need to spray and pray a little bit. I need to just get myself in front of you as much as I possibly can. And it's really hard for marketers to try to figure out, well, is 20 impressions on LinkedIn and 15 podcast ads and and three emails too much or, or seven emails. Okay. But less LinkedIn ads, like everybody's got that different mix. And so what ends up happening is a, a lot of marketers overshoot, 
they just try to get themselves out there and raise their frequency as high as they can. But we're not necessarily looking at the data of the impression volumes tying it back to you know, the ICP, the, the person that we're targeting. Well, most of the customers that reached us had this volume of advertising. We just looked at, they clicked on a LinkedIn ad. I'm going to keep doing my LinkedIn ads. And so you know, I think that as marketing and marketers get more sophisticated, we'll start understanding those frequency caps as well. Maybe the platforms will participate in that as well. Uh, but when we talk specifically to the the, the SMBs, you know, the smaller companies, like there is no way on earth that they're going to be able to monitor frequency caps on every individual campaign across every channel. And so that's where like, you know, marketing and, and privacy sometimes do feel like they are at odds is like what's effective and what me as a marketer, I as a marketer can actually evaluate are, are two different things. Right. So, and, and I, I want to pivot on that just a little bit because there's been so much talk about contextual advertising, which, you know, the nefarious term of surveillance advertising is being used more frequently these days. And we've seen newer state privacy laws and conversations the FTC has been having about this large focus by lawmakers and consumers on targeted advertising. Catherine and I are privacy lawyers, but I want to give you the opportunity, the viewer in front of legislators, lawmakers, policymakers, how would you frame the discussion about what we should allow, how businesses can use targeted advertising, contextual advertising effectively without this creep factor that everyone keeps honing in on? I think we need to define the creep factor, right? Because I, again, I'll I'll expressly state my bias. I am a marketer. Like, with a capital M in my career, it's how I've built my career um, is by helping brands build awareness and take that awareness and turn it into demand for the products and services. So I'm a little biased, but I also am the consumer of targeted advertising, which I kind of like. I leave most of my privacy settings open and that's my decision. I allow Facebook to track me when they're using their app because I want better targeted ads because I buy my button down shirts through the Facebook ads and I want them to be cool ones. And so I am at maybe one end of the spectrum, not only because of my career, but my personal preferences. And I think that we can come up with the threshold of what is beyond appropriate is the creep factor. And I I am not the person who can figure that out um, because I think it is a a personal decision. But I do think that we've gone impartial because, you know, everything that happened with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and the political elections, and it's not just here in the U.S., all of a sudden everybody said, well, it's the targeted advertising that's the problem. And targeted advertising is not necessarily always a problem. There's a lot of benefit out of using the data to be able to present valuable offers and services to potential consumers, right? That's, it's great. I I, I bought this shirt from an ad and I like it. And I'm glad that Facebook and whoever sold me this shirt was able to target me. Do I want them showing up at my home and saying, we know who you are and we know your kids' names? No, that's too much. So I don't know if I'm answering your questions, but I do sort of get a little defensive when it comes to, well, targeted advertising is surveillance marketing. It's like, no, 
the average marketer who is sitting there trying to understand broadly who their consumers are and how to get products or services doesn't care what time you wake up and when you're at home. They want you to buy their t-shirts. I feel like on some level, contextual targeting is getting a bad rap. It seems to me that to some degree, SMBs, small, medium businesses are getting sort of caught up in a backlash that really should be focused on how much the large data collectors are collecting about consumers. And so it's really interesting for SMBs to sort of be fighting the fight that I think the big platforms are really where the most of the concern comes around from that creep factor. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's the data companies and then there's the average marketer that is trying to take data and put it into Facebook to build a lookalike audience based on what they know about their existing customers. And, and those two should not necessarily be held to the same standard. There obviously should be a minimum threshold. You shouldn't target people that have expressly stated they don't want you to market to them. But there's a big difference between Zoom Info, a publicly traded company that collects data and has profiles on a large portion of consumers in the United States, and Joe's Crab Shack trying to promote that they've got a sale on crabs on Friday. Those are two very different use cases. And I think that, you know, when we start to think about privacy and regulation, uh, my understanding is there are some very clear thresholds of how much data or how big of a company that are already present in the the GDPRs and CCPAs. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it's not that everybody that is targeting you with advertising is doing something that is illegal or, or awful. I, you know, I think that kind of hit a little bit of a tipping point where it just sounds like an icky word retargeting. Ooh, uh. So switching topics on you to lead generation, all companies that I know or work with are focused on lead generation and getting folks into the, the right folks into the funnel. So how are companies approaching lead generation, given that it, it has gotten a lot trickier, given the current privacy landscape? Yeah, again, I think that content is becoming more of a lead generation tool. We're seeing this popularization of what's called product-led growth, not sales-led growth. Sales-led growth is I'm going to cold call, cold email people that I think are relevant to me and ask them if they want to be in my sales cycle. And it's an effective way. And honestly, that's kind of how most businesses operate is they find a lead list or they build their own lead list and they email the people directly. And it's a one-to-one communication and you can do it until you're doing it too much and then you're in trouble is basically my understanding. And there's no real clear guidelines of what is too much. And so people worry about canned spam and what the reputation is with all the email service providers. That's a, a sales-led mechanism. A product-led mechanism is I'm going to build content that's going to get someone to visit my website probably be able to cookie them so I can present retargeting ads to them, assuming that they opt into cookies and retargeting. But really what I'm trying to do is build all the content that I can. So whenever they're looking for anything that is relevant to my products or services, they want to give me their email so I can follow up with more content and keep them nurtured and engaged without 
actively having a salesperson call them and then probably moves them into more of a self-service model tends to be the trend with this product-led growth is wherever you go, you're going to find our content. You're going to go onto social media. You're going to go into your newsletter. Your mom's going to text it to you. You find our content. It's relevant to this one subject. You come onto the website, you give us your email, you get our newsletter, we stay present. And when you're in market, we're top of mind and you can come in and you can buy products and services on your own. It's kind of my understanding of the definition of product-led growth. And we're seeing popularization of that, not only because it's effective and can keep you out of some privacy concerns, it means that you don't have to hire a sales team. Uh, now, the problem with that is it's really hard to figure out conversion rate optimization and build up the amount of content you need to actually get enough traffic to get volume and, and keep growing. So there's trade-offs between product-led and sales-led growth, but I think that that's kind of the the big trend that I see is what's happening with lead gen is people are really focusing on content into a product-led funnel. And, and I'm sure it depends on the type of product and whether it's a consumer good, for example, versus B2B. But are you seeing certain distribution channels have better ROI with respect to that content, that first party content that companies are putting out? I could see the opposite. I could see that the uh, open and conversion rates from emails have decreased uh, dramatically over the last few years, basically in the sort of COVID era we're all digital. And so we get so many impressions and just don't pay attention to everything that's coming at us as much. So my feeling is that things like search engine optimization, creating new media podcasts and videos and showing up where people are searching for your subject matter is the way to build awareness, partnering with influencers that already have an audience that's captive um, is another way to sort of get to people at the top of the funnel. And then the trick becomes, how do you capture some sort of information or data about them, whether it's a cookie, whether it is an email address, um, so you can then build in marketing activities that are meant to nurture the relationship until that person is in market and ready to buy. And then they have some sort of a signal where they raise their hand and then you kind of more actively sell to them. So Ben, I just, I want to backtrack and just support you on the targeted marketing and advertising because I too would prefer that, especially when I go through my mail, which I had to do last night and I'm getting rid of all these flyers in the mail, right? Which is all targeted advertising, but not targeted to me. I would much rather prefer as it irrelevant to me. So I, I support you on, on that. So we like to wrap up our episodes with kind of a look forward. So I'm going to ask you to, you know, take a look 12, 24 months, you know, one to two years later about what do you think are the one to two areas of this intersection of privacy and marketing that you think marketers should be focused on? I would start building your content now. And I would start collecting more first-party data, building in more hooks and giving your consumers more reason to give their contact information in exchange for some sort of value that you're providing now. And it's critical because the third-party cookie is dying. Google did punt. Um, they were going to take the ability for basically marketers to retarget people that visit a website away. And they said, well, we were going to do that this year, but now we're going to move it to next year. At some point, 
it will be much more difficult to retarget and collect data from somebody who's visiting your website. So you need to build the muscle of finding ways to attract your consumers with content and be able to capture their information with their consent appropriately. And so to me, the the secrets there are build content. That could be write blog posts, create social media followings, build your own podcast, a, a video series, like get out there in the places where your consumers are and try to drive them into some sort of an activity where you're able to ask them for their information so you can continue to build a relationship. The other big thing I'll throw in is that we're seeing a huge rise in the development of communities, right? So it's not just, oh, I've got a podcast. Now it's, I've got a podcast that covers MarTech. Join the MarTech community, and now I have a reason to stay in front of you. I'm providing value by connecting you with your peers. And so I am a small, medium business, and I don't have a ton of capital capital to go buy data, hire privacy experts. I'm creating my own content. I'm inviting people to my community. I'm actually trying to build real relationships with my customers and stay in front of them over the long haul. So when they are in market for my products or services, I'm obviously going to be top of mind at that point. Great. Yeah. I think the key is figuring out how to provide value, right? Ongoing value for engagement. So We thank you so much for your time today, Ben, and appreciate your guidance to the small and medium-sized businesses that are always looking for it. I appreciate you shining the light on, on what's happening, not only with privacy, but in marketing as well. Thanks for having me as your guest. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a review and let us know what you'd like to hear about next on Privacy Abbreviated.